Well, it is Christmas time. Um, it's our Advent season. Actually, Advent begins today. I don't know, maybe some of you are participating in that. Maybe some of you are a part of that in some way. Um, um, but before we get started, I have a quick question. Now, this, now um, honestly, this has nothing to do with the service. So on full disclosure, this is just from me, right? Because I'm intrigued by this. I ask people all the time. Regarding the Christmas classics, cartoons now, I mean, I'm going to ask you questions like this about every week. I just have to know, Rudolph, Frosty, or Little Drummer Boy, how many would say your favorite, the best of those three is Rudolph? Would you please raise your hand if you think Rudolph is the best? All right, how many if you think Frosty the Snowman is the best? And how many if you think the little drummer boy is the best? All right, and, and so let's, I think Frosty the Snowman is the winner today, all right? So that's right. Let's give it up for Frosty fans out there everywhere. All right, here's one other thing. Now, out of you Frosty fans, I really don't want you to talk back, but you can or whatever. There is a Frosty the Snowman 2. Yay or nay on that? No, no, no good on the Frosty the Snowman 2, right? All right, just checking with that. All right, sounds like a, a plan. Well, Christmas can be a very special and a magical time of year. Um, well, some of those movies kind of are pretty neat. I can remember them even as a kid. Um, but especially, I think, if you and I have had the privilege of being around children even now or even remembering as we were kids, it is a pretty exciting time uh, as we think about, oh, the gifts that we're going to be given, or Christmas time, or even being with family, or Santa Claus, and the whole thing. And as I said earlier, I've had the privilege of helping out with the Polar Express program over at the Phoenix School. And I have, over the last several years, it has been a life-giving experience to me. As I look into the eyes of these children, getting the opportunity to pick out gifts for their families. It's an exciting time for them. And they, they get excited and they tell me, I, I say, okay, so how many are in your family? And they tell me so many brothers or sisters. And they tell me all the things that they like. And they'll say, oh, my brother loves the so-and-so. And my sister, she loves jewelry or makeup. And they get a chance to pick stuff out. It really warms my heart because they get a chance to participate in this idea of giving a gift. But today, as we start our Advent season, as we begin into this four-week series of messages, we're starting a message series called Like a Child. Now, here's the objective of all of this. It is our collective goal as a church, as we go through this together, that by the end of these four weeks, that it would truly just be a great reminder for all of us, and no matter who you are, of what it means to have a childlike faith in God and to maybe ultimately, for some of us, to rediscover what it means to live and to believe like a child again. Because I think somewhere along the line, we've lost that, that wonder and that awe and that faithfulness, that childlike faithfulness when it comes to trusting the Lord, when it comes to really giving our lives fully over to Him. So as we begin this series, it's important that we lay a foundation that is really well done so that we can grow deeper and stronger. So I'm going to be talking to you today. We're going to lay the foundation. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be learning what it means to live and have faith like a child. All right, so here we go. So the context is this. In the first century, going all the way back during the life and ministry of Jesus, it was not uncommon for Jewish mothers to bring their children, particularly their babies, their infants who were within a year old or around a year old, to go to one of the distinguished rabbis of the town, of the village, or someone nearby, and they would go to a rabbi who was a teacher, and that teacher would then, would then touch or bless 
the children. That was a normal part of their culture. Now, it was especially true if they were infants, but it was across the board, this idea of rabbis getting a chance to lay a blessing on the children. Now, here's why this is important. You see, the rabbi was not just the teacher of the law, but he was oftentimes looked at as sort of the standard, that if a child could somehow become a disciple of the rabbi... They would be in so many ways kind of elevated to the upper tier, right? Because only so many were selected to be disciples. And so what happens is these children all are blessed and they're encouraged to be disciples of a particular rabbi, but they don't all make the cut. As a matter of fact, as they go along, only a few are able to make the cut. And it involves memorization of all the the Jewish laws and those sorts of things. And so as it goes along, only a few make the cut. And that's what happened with actually many of the disciples of Jesus. You see, they hadn't made the cut as kids, and now they were working in their professions as carpenters. They were working in their profession as uh, a fisherman or whatever it was, and they were not disciples. And that is why it was so significant that when Jesus began his ministry, that he went to them and he selected them. That they were selected, that they were the choice ones, that they were allowed to be a part of his ministry. They were the outcast. And I love that, that Jesus takes those who have been rejected and he gives them purpose and meaning. And I love that because he's still doing that for us and through us still today. All right, so with that little bit of a context, we understand that in that culture, being a child is a part of this process of maybe one day you could be a teacher of the law as well. Well, now, specifically looking at the time when Jesus was walking the earth and he was living and breathing and doing ministry, that he would go from, from town to town and from village to village. And during that time, the people would come and he would heal them. And at times, even the children would be brought to him. But specifically, during one point in Jesus' ministry, he was entering his last journey to Jerusalem. Now, as we know throughout the Bible, Jesus went to Jerusalem in his ministry about three times. This was the last of those times. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he knew that it was this trip to Jerusalem that ultimately his life would be taken. He knew that eventually when he got to Jerusalem, the outcome was Jesus knew he was going to be nailed to a cross. He knew that that he was going to have to give his life if this was his last journey in. And you couldn't help it. I couldn't imagine. It had to be on his mind as he was traveling that road. But as he was on his way to Jerusalem, as he entered a town, this experience happened. And it's sort of the basis of this entire series of messages that we're going to talk about, like a child. And as he was entering in with that on his mind, with that context, on his way into Jerusalem for the last time, the Gospel of Mark Chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, tell us this. That people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Interesting. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Wow. I think 
that this is one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. I think it is powerful because Jesus had on his mind the cross, but in the middle of it, he would not allow that to stop him from blessing those who were considered to be invalid, those children who really had no value. Even his own disciples were saying, don't bother Jesus. Don't you see how important he is? He's got so many things to do. And Jesus says, no, I want these little children, these these human beings that I created that, that you guys find of no value, I want them and I want them to come. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says, they are the standard for what it means to trust and to believe in God. Wow believing like a child, and it hasn't changed even today. In this year, in this day and age, as we as Christians gather together, do not forget that that still that same command, that call from Jesus says that unless, unless you come to him as a little child and you receive the kingdom in that way, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that's profound. So with that basis, with that understanding, I think it's enormous. Jesus was was a lot on his mind. He was managing his disciples. He was physically anticipating the physical pain and trauma of the cross. And on a spiritual level, can you imagine the weight of what was on Jesus' mind, knowing that he was going to carry the sin of the world? Because that's what was happening here. But in the middle of that, Jesus would not lose sight of one thing, and that was his mission. You see, Jesus did... What God does for us all the time. Don't miss this. He meets us at our point of need. He seeks us out. He calls us to come closer that we might receive a blessing from him. That we might find encouragement from him. And here's the thing. Oftentimes in our life, and maybe you're feeling this way right now, we feel like we're off on the sidelines, that we're invalid, that our life isn't counting, that it's just not adding up, that we have one mistake after another, that we get one bad diagnosis after another, one failed relationship after another, and we just feel like, you know what, I just give up. And in the middle of that, I want you to know this message is true. Jesus is saying, why don't you come to me? Let Let them come to me and they would receive a blessing from me and they would encouragement and they would be restored and they would be healed. That's the same thing he does for you and I just like he did for these children and that's the same today. I hope you hear that message today. I don't know what you're going through. I know that during the Christmas season, the holiday time, it can be very difficult for an awful lot of people. It has a wide range of emotions and I understand that very much. I get that. But in the middle of that, can I just give you an encouragement to say, would you be willing to look to Jesus during this time and to allow him to, to keep his, his arms are open. He said, would you just come to him and, and say, you know what, Jesus, I need you right now. I, at my point of need, I'm not, I'm not bringing much to the table, Jesus. I'm kind of down. I'm depressed. I'm feeling very, very sort of down. I'm, my grief, my despair is heavy, but Jesus, I'm going to come to you. I know that in my own life, there have been too many times to count when I have been overwhelmed by my circumstances and obstacles that somehow I had to learn how to navigate and deal with hopelessness. But I've also gained insight over the course of my life, and maybe many of you have too, that in the middle of that, that God is always faithful. And He's simply asking me to give Him what I have, to give Him the best that I have, the very best that I can muster up. Come to me, he says. Receive a blessing. 
You see, when I read that story about the little children coming to Jesus, it was just a, a huge reminder of this one truth. And if, here's the thing. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down, and you can write it in big letters, and you can do it however you want, but here it is. My God is for me. That my God is for me. And oftentimes in my life, I forget it. I feel like the cards are stacked against me. God is stacked against me. My life, my mistakes, on and on and on. And I forget that throughout the scriptures, over and over again, this truth gets echoed throughout the ages that God is not against you. He's for you. You see, the disciples tried to keep the children from bothering Jesus. But Jesus said, let them come to me. I'm for them. I mean, nobody else wants them around, but I want them. And I feel like, who would want me sometimes? You ever feel like that? But God says, I want you. Because my God is for me. No matter how little or insignificant I might feel, or how devastating my situation might be, God is for me. Sometimes, though, have you ever felt like this when you deal with God, if you're a believer in Jesus or if you've learned how to pray, I don't know what your religious background is or where you've come from, but have you ever felt like in your life that at some point or another you thought, man, I don't feel like praying or even talking to God or going to church because I think that here's what God hears when I start talking. Wah, 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 wah. All right, I'm just keeping it real, right? I mean, like I'm thinking to myself, God is so tired of hearing from me that he's thinking to himself, oh boy, here comes Justin again. Didn't we just talk about this last week, Justin? Didn't we just do this last week? And didn't you say you weren't going to do that again or talk like that again or be in the, Isn't that what I just... Oh, Justin. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like thinking that that's how God views us? And it begins this process of feeling that I'm just not worthy of God's time. He's not interested in me. Anymore, I've failed too many times and then I look at scriptures like this and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you and I'm willing to stop the procession and I want those that are small and insignificant and vulnerable and he wants me too and he wants you too. My God is for me. How many of you uh, have ever watched the movie A Christmas Story with Ralphie and the BB guns? Can you lift your... He wants a BB gun for Christmas and he had this turning point in that movie where he was just... He knew he wanted the BB gun. His parents were against it. They kept telling him that he was going to do what? Thank you. Finally, you guys have known. Ralphie, you're going to shoot your eye out. So then he had this grand plan. He said, I'm going to go to Santa. And here is how it works. I think we got it. Jonathan, he says, I'm going to go to Santa. Check this out. This is kind of fun. I think, maybe. There it is. Look, that may be the best reason why you came to church right there. If you got nothing else out of what I'm going to say, right? Oh, man. But hey, listen up. This may be a bit exaggerated, and I might be pushing a little too much, but I don't think I am. But sometimes I feel like that is how God sees and treats me, or at least that's how I feel like he feels about me. Come on, kid, the store's closing. I hate the smell of tapioca. Why don't these people just go away? And God's thinking, come on, one more kid, get up here. And the request is, just like Ralphie, you're going to shoot your eye out. No, just get out of here. But I would love to challenge your thinking today a little bit. 
to say that God is for you. He really is. And I know it's tough because all we really tend to see is how much we've failed or how many times we've failed or how long we've been failing. You don't even have to raise your hands. I already know because we're all in that together. And in the middle of that, I want you to know Jesus wants you to know. I want you to come to me. Don't don't let anything stop you because I want you to come and I want you to talk to me. And I want to restore you and bless you and encourage you. And here's the thing. And if you're a note taker, I, I just kind of laying it out like this. There are, there are really three things that I believe that when we begin to believe that God is for us, that when we believe it in our heart, when we believe it in our soul, when we engage with that truth, and we can say, yes, I believe that God is for me. I believe that that our perspective begins to change. And I'm going to give three ways that our perspective changes and how we see life when we believe and trust that God is for me. All right, so if you're a note taker, here's the first thing that our perspective would change. That when we believe that God is for us, I don't hide from God, I run to God. Because what happens is that if I don't believe that God is for me, do I really think I'm going to run to him? No, I'm going to run from him. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis, I think even in chapter 3-ish, when Adam and Eve were going through their big dilemma, when they had fallen and after they had sinned, they didn't believe that God was for them any longer. And what did they do? They hid and ran away from God. Of course, God was there and he was waiting for him. And he's, where are you going and what are you doing? But oftentimes that's us. That oftentimes our perspective is that when we fail, when we continue to fail, when our life seems uncontrollable and unrestorable, we don't run to God. We run from him. We begin to hide, or at least we think we're hiding from God, which is kind of funny, isn't it? Like, like somehow we can hide in a place where he doesn't see us. or He doesn't know really what's going on. But there's such a perspective change that if I can live my life that God is for me, that I tend to run to him. And I run to him for help and forgiveness in the midst of my failures, in the midst of my fears. And I get healing and forgiveness and restoration. and, And I'm afraid, but I still go because I know what? That he is for me and not against me. And I know that if I run to him, it's going to get better. And if I run away from God, it's going to get worse. King Solomon wrote many Proverbs, and there's a powerful one, and this might even be worth writing down, and it's short enough to memorize, and you can put it on the board. It's in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. And he says, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and they are safe. That the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and they're safe. And I believe that when you and I believe that God is for us, our perspective begins to change, and we find ourselves looking to talk to God and crying out for forgiveness and wisdom and vision vision for our lives instead of anxiously sort of figuring out how to get away. Instead, we go to God because we know He loves us and He's for us and He longs to bless us and we can learn from Him and just being with Him. 
When we believe that God is for us, the first thing that happens is our perspective changes and we find ourselves running to God, not trying to hide from him, right? Here's the second thing. Our perspective changes when we believe that God is for us in this way. I don't live for God's approval. I live from God's approval. Make sure you write this down right. That I don't live for God's approval. I live from God's approval. And I believe that so many of us are caught in the trap and in the lie of Satan that our everyday behavior and approval really matters how much God will really love you. And because you've messed up, now it's like the reset button all over again. Now, don't, make a mis- don't misunderstand me. God longs to work in our lives to bring about change, to heal us, to strengthen us, to help us overcome sins and addictions and struggles. And he's been doing it for thousands of years now. But don't miss this. That kind of behavior, whether we're on one day or off the day, doesn't change God's love for us. And when we believe that God is for us, then we can begin to live our life from a place of victory instead of from a place of defeat. And so many of us live our lives from a place of defeat. We're already defeated. We look for ways that we're going to lose instead of understanding that we've already won. Did you get that? That when we're following God, when we're trusting God, we know he's for us, we can go into this life, we can face the battles, we can go into those hard relationships, we can have those, those tough conversations, we can address sort of these, I guess, accountability type things going on in our life, and we can push into it knowing, knowing with confidence God is for me, and I'm going to live my life with victory already stored up, and I'm going to live from a place of victory, not defeat. So to live our lives with confidence, knowing that we're living from God's approval, because he's already done that, instead of for it. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus demonstrated his incredible love and approval for us. And he did it in a dramatic way. In the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 8, this incredible verse just says all that we need to know about God's approval of us. It says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to read that carefully, and I want you to get it. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us, thank you, Lord, to get our act together because it wasn't going to happen. His approval was set in place. I love you. I approve of you. I want you. And I want you right where you are. And I love you enough to keep you like you are, but I love you just where you are. And I long to help you have freedom. And I long to help you have peace. But I want you to know that I approve of you. I love you right where you are. It's not based on your performance. Powerful. Because I believe that when we realize that God loves us, And we begin to live from his approval and we begin to live victorious lives. It's amazing how we face those same situations and circumstances with a different spirit of hope and a different spirit of peace. Because we know that no matter the outcome, and I really mean that, we know that God is for us and he loves us. It's kind of like that moment when a child recognizes and, and you understand this. And if you're a child, so maybe you're in the fifth grade or sixth grade or in the fourth grade, or, or maybe you can remember back to what that's like, but you can remember what it's like as a child. And that moment in time when you understood, hopefully you understood and were able to have this experience, that my parents 
love me because I'm their child, not because I can hit a ball or shoot a basket or kick a ball or do whatever it is in performance or get the good grades or whatever. But when we get to that point where we realize, you know, my mom and dad, they, they love me because I'm their child, not because I do something special or I performed at the highest or I made the travel team. But no, my parents love me because, because I'm theirs. And God wants you to know today that he loves you because you're his. And we need to live our lives from a place of approval and victory, his approval and his victory, not from a place of defeat. Here's the third thing. Knowing that God is for us, our perspective changes in this way, that you will no longer fear what happens to you because you know that God is working for you. That what happens, generally speaking, is that the fear that oftentimes comes with sin and oftentimes comes with mistakes and past uh, shame and all those things and we get all worked up and fear can absolutely paralyze you. You don't even have to raise your hand. I know that there's been so many times in our lives when it's been fear that's just stopped us in our tracks. And God says, I want you to live with an understanding that I am for you. And when you can grab a hold of that, your perspective changes and that fear will melt away. And you know that I'm working on your behalf. Now, I want to make it clear, there are some occasions in which it is completely natural to experience some kind of fear, right? Like driving in a blizzard and you can't see and it's a complete whiteout. All right, I get it. You might be a little bit afraid, right? I got it. Or how about some riding on a roller coaster or, or, or maybe being in a... A, a, a crowd uh, when it's Black Friday and they open the door. I've seen some pictures of that. that. That would be afraid, right? Maybe some of you were in that mess on Friday. But I've seen enough to know that I would be afraid of that. But here's the thing. The kind of fear that I'm talking about is this. It's this deeply seated fear concerning our lives that, that we're anxious. And we have a fear regarding our relationships or our careers or parenting. Fear of living a life with purpose that I'm not going to live anymore with purpose or I don't have any. Maybe the fear of dying. But when we know that God is for us, our perspective begins to change and we're able to face those fears knowing that God's working and has already worked in front of us. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, maybe you know the scripture, but this gets so oftentimes mishandled because we read it this way, that God's going to make everything turn out for the good in our life. That if I trust him, it's all going to be good. I've lived long enough, you've lived long enough, you've lived long enough to know that guess what? In this life, there are some awful difficult times and it's not all quote unquote good. But if you read it carefully, it is powerful and it releases us. Look at it carefully. That we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, here's, here's, I don't want you to miss it. He is saying, when you go through this life, when you wrestle with your demons, when you're struggling against your, your vices, when you have relationships that are melting down, and when your life seems on the brink, in the middle of that, God wants to know you to know he's working on your behalf. And that when we run to him, not run from him, when we trust him, 
and know he's for us and we work from a place of victory and not defeat, it's amazing I have found in my life that in that process we can begin to know that even though I can't see the outcome, I believe God is working it out for good. Meaning he's working in the midst of this hurt and this shame and this pain and in the end, ultimately, victory will be mine. And it may not look like I think it should look and it may even cost me my life, but I know that as I walk this walk, God has proven over and over again it will work for his good. And I will be allowed to be a part of that and experience peace and security in that. I hope that you're hearing me today and I hope some of this is hitting you today. That faith like a child requires us to believe that God is for me. That he's on my side. And I can confidently and boldly walk into these impossible, seemingly impossible challenges with confidence and security. Because I know that God is going to be working. He's already working. He's working on my behalf. And it's all going to be okay. And I can trust him. It may not end up the way you thought. But one thing is for sure. God will work it out for good. In a very personal way, I, I, this, is, this all comes crashing in. And maybe you guys can tell your own story. I know you probably could. But there was a time in my life where my perspective was totally wrong. You see, I had been um, deeply hurt by the church. Don't raise your hand. But I was deeply hurt by the church. And so in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my my sort of anxieties and frustrations, I chose to, to kind of run away from the pain, or at least I thought I could. And my running away from God and my running away from the pain put my, my family in a financial bind. My heart was broken. My relationship with my wife was strained and my family was strained. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't leave and I couldn't stay. Felt like I had no purpose. And I felt like I was just existing. And in the middle of that, it was such a difficult time. But here's the lesson that I learned as I share with you quite openly and honestly, because I believe that many of us have had similar circumstances and stories. That eventually, I got a very part-time job thanks to the kindness of a pastor and friend of mine. And I became sort of the part-time janitor, they called it something else now, uh, but really, I was unlocking doors and cleaning toilets for a church. And it was from that point of view that God began to open up my heart and my own mind again. As I was opening doors for other people who were in the building doing ministry, my heart began to, to turn over and over again. And I began to say that maybe, maybe my life isn't over. Maybe God has been working for the good somehow. And the rest of the story is that during those days of cleaning toilets, I did a lot of thinking. And I resolved during those days that I would not stop believing that God was for me. And I remember specifically saying that. And I would not stop believing that God was good even though I had no plan in mind. And eventually from the depths of my pain, God brought healing he brought restoration. He brought wisdom. And he brought the dream and the vision of a very young man and a young pastor back to life. 
And he began to put that dream back in my heart and he began to pave the way and it began to open up and the doors began to open now, not just for me to help others to do ministry at the church while I was cleaning toilets, but God was opening up a new opportunity for me and he methodically and faithfully walked me through the next several years of my life, reminding me all along the way that he was working for the good and even though for years it felt like I was pretty hopeless. And now every single time I deliver a message to my wonderful orchard family, I am humbly, humbly reminded that God is good, that God is for us and he is faithful and he works for the good even when we don't see it. It certainly didn't go as I had planned some 20 years ago. And I'm not exactly sure how it's going to look moving forward I know that's not what you're supposed to say as a pastor, but I'm being transparent and honest. But here's what I know. That God's in control and that he's for us and that he's working for the good. And I know that he's already ahead of it. And he's called me to simply have faith like a child and to believe that he's for us. I want to leave you with this, with this one scripture. It's in Romans 8.31. It's very short and to the point. That if God is for us, who can be against us? That if God is for us, who can be against us? If he has set the wheels in motion, it cannot be undone. He's got it covered. And I am so grateful. So today we begin this series. We're going to believe like a child. We're going to learn to live like children again. We're going to have faith like a children. But the key to beginning the whole thing is this understanding that God is for us. And that we can live from a place of victory, not defeat. And that he's already in the process working on our behalf. What a great reminder. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this message that you put into my heart. I pray that God just now, you would bless us and encourage each one of us in a powerful way. That you would minister to us in a way that only you can. You would remind each one of us that you're for us. And that we can live from a place of victory not defeat. Thank you, God, for not giving up on us, for never, ever, ever leaving us and reminding us over and over again that we can live from a place from your approval, not for it. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. You are so faithful over and over again. Thank you for receiving us. Help us to come to you like little children. And we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Here are just a few minutes. Um, we're going to take communion together.